Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to this In Isolation episode of Shameless with the glorious Melissa Leong. Melissa is a freelance food and travel writer, cookbook editor, radio broadcaster and TV presenter. She's written as a food critic for publications like Time Out Sydney and previously hosted SBS's television series A Chef's Line. She's now working alongside Andy Allen and Jock Zonfrillo as a judge on MasterChef Australia and has been requested as a guest on our show by so many of you guys. We have lost count. In this chat, Melissa touches on her journey from training to be a concert pianist to landing in the world of food writing, as well as exactly how she found out MasterChef was interested in her as a judge on the show. We were able to grab a pretty small snippet of Melissa's time amongst her many, many busy commitments. So this episode is a tiny bit shorter than usual, but we think you will love it just as much, if not more. Here is Melissa Leon. Melissa Leon, welcome to Shameless in Isolation. I don't think I've been as excited about having a single guest on the show since like the very, very beginning of the year. You are my top pick for 2020 and I'm bloody excited to have you here as I'm sure you are, Zara. Oh, I am. Thank you so much. It's so exciting. When you guys posted on Instagram a couple of weeks ago and I was having a bit of a moment with dealing with, you know, the the less savoury sides of, you know, this new job and it meant a lot for you two have seen that and I really appreciate knowing and feeling like there is a tremendous girl gang behind every every woman that's going through something new and different. I can't wait for you to see how big this gang is behind you right now when this episode goes live because our community (laughs) is obsessed with you. So where we want to start today, Melissa, is asking you where you are right now. Set the scene for the listeners because we're recording this remotely. We're always intrigued as to how people are recording this. 
Uh, well, I'm sitting in my living room at home in my house in Melbourne, and it's really nice to be, yeah, to be at home and not at the studio for a minute because we've spent a great many hours, days, weeks, and months there over the last little while. And so it's always, I know it's an ironic thing given the fact that most people have been in ISO and they're probably quite sick of being at home, but um, I'm very grateful to be at home at the moment. Melissa, before we jump into your life and your career, we want to ask you, what are the books, podcasts or TV shows that you recommend to other women right now? I think in isolation, we're all kind of like binging content and we want everyone's (laughs) best recommendations for the listeners. Oh, I've been watching The Great on Stan at the moment. I have seen this. What is that about? I love it. So it's a a non-accurate history of Catherine the Great. And it stars Elle Fanning and I think she is so bloody fabulous. So it sort of, you know, comes in when she, she's been arranged to be married and she arrives in Russia and then then it's sort of a lot of gilding of the story really. But it's just um it's a very, very good girl gang kind of, you know, women step up and make the history that they want to see happen because, you know, there's a little bit of ineptitude surrounding her. So, yeah, that's been pretty great. I was obsessed with Killing Eve and I got my husband onto it and he was obsessed with it. So he bought me Code Villanelle, which is the book that it's based from. So I'm just about to start reading that now that I have a little bit of time as well. So, yeah. How good. I'm so looking forward to watching The Great. I've just heard so much about it. So I feel like this is the final recommendation I need to sit down and watch it. But Melissa, the next question we always ask is what were you like as a kid? What was I like as a kid? Um, I I took a long time to figure out who I was. I think a big, you know, as with a lot of kids, you know, you kind of do all of the things to kind of figure out what you love and what you're good at. So I was a classic overachieving Asian migrant kid. So I did little athletics, gymnastics, ballet, piano, flute, Kumon mathematics. What else did I do? So every day of the week after school, I had something on. And if I didn't have that, then I had copious amounts of training and practice and homework that were required to do all of those things. So I I loved it. I had a really busy childhood in that regard. And I was given the opportunity to kind of try anything and everything that I thought I might be interested in um, and potentially good at because I think that's one of the great things about being in a family like mine is my parents worked very hard to give me those opportunities and I'm very grateful for that. So the answer is busy and yeah I think I was I was very much and I still am like I, I'm I'm an introvert by by nature so I think that I, I'm generally more comfortable with you know two or three friends to catch up rather than sort of walk into a, a room full of 100 people and do the fonds kind of thing. I can't really network in, in that regard. But I think the older you get, the better you you become accepting your boundaries and, and who you are and working sort of within and without them. I am so interested to hear you say that you're an introvert because watching MasterChef, <laughs> it really does seem like you are, of course, introverts can be full of life, but you command the space in the room. And when you guys have had big public gatherings and you've had viewers of the show be involved and you've had these like massive audiences, you seem to completely come to life. Does that feel like a weird dichotomy to you that you are an introvert who prefers maybe the company of one or two people and yet in front of a huge audience you thrive? (laughs) It's funny. I'm definitely, uh, I guess, what they would call an extroverted introvert. I think that regardless of what you do, you know, 
I like to do my job well and part of that now involves being able to, you know, fill up a space or get people really excited. So I really love that. I love human connection. I think that's the one great thing that's come to life um, with me moving into television is it's a very tangible way of being able to kind of connect with someone and then hopefully bring the best out of them. So for me to be able to do that, I'm really thinking more about the the end result being about feeling the, the connection between humans rather than having a stage fright of, of being up there and being seen. You know, I'm fine with being seen now in my life. <laughs> it's taken a long time to get here, but because it's taken a long time to get here and it's, it's been very hard earned, I'm, I'm really comfortable standing up in front of people and saying, this is who I am. And part of that is, you know, being an introvert. So I, I get my energy from recharging alone. I need that quiet time to, to be the best that I can be. Whereas I know, like, obviously, you know, the the opposite is true for extroverts. They sort of get charged up by being around people and that doesn't necessarily happen for me. It doesn't mean I don't like people. It just means that I need to be alone in order to kind of just come back to my centre a little bit. We will get to that big stage and that that sort of <laughs> MasterChef show that you always put on on MasterChef. But I want to know, what are your memories of family and food growing up? My memories of family and food are intertwined. So growing up in an Asian family means food is part of the language of how we communicate. I, I like to joke that a lot of Asian families, particularly Chinese families, are sort of touchy-feely, huggy kinds of people. So the way we show love is to cook together, to eat together, to go out to eat together as well and to talk about food. And so it's um, in a way a love language. It's a way of being able to kind of find that connection and say the things that can't necessarily be said. So um, for me, food is symbolic as well as it is a form of nourishment. And, you know, growing up in a household where both my parents are great cooks, my mum particularly is just the most extraordinary cook and she always made my brother and I feel welcome in the kitchen. So whether or not it was when we were super tiny and she would be, um, you know, she'd have this huge mortar and pestle and she would be pounding chilies to make sambal or something like that, she would, you know, let us be involved in that process and taste things and and try out techniques and as we got older we were able to do a little bit more so cooking wasn't about okay this is what you do it's just it was a slow immersion in the education and and the falling in love with food. You clearly have always loved food from a really early (laughs) age but you actually went to university to study accounting and economics. I want to know how do you go from quite a traditional path that's quite a conventional (laughs) career to something that's more creative creative and experimental like food. I think, you know, for me, the journey was not, is, has never been linear. So when I was deciding what I wanted to do for, for tertiary education, and tertiary education was a non-negotiable, had to happen in our family. That is just the way that it was. I was actually training to be a concert pianist. And I start, so I was going to go to the conservatorium. So I was training for that. And I started to develop RSI, so repetitive strain injury in my, my right elbow and my right posterior capsule. So that meant a very serious conversation with my teachers and they basically said look it's you have to treat it like a sporting injury so growing into an elite sports person you need to consider that this pain may hold you back so do you want to start your training knowing that this will always inhibit you in some capacity or maybe you don't want to do this And I thought about it for a long time. And as much as um, music has been part of my upbringing, I played the piano since I was three and a half, four years old, very seriously, classically trained. I 
made this huge decision to give up the big chunk of my life. And so then I thought, well, what else am I going to do? So I thought I chose economics and social sciences because it was a flexible enough degree in order to let me experience certain faculties within that. And it allowed me to take on some art subjects and some business subjects. And it was more about the flexibility of a generous degree. And then when I finished that, I I keep finding myself going back to creative pursuits. I was a Clinique girl during my university years. So I worked um, as my part-time job. So I taught piano from the age of 13 to kids from my school. So kids from the primary school, I would teach them piano after school. And then I wanted a job outside of the house. And so I applied to become a Clinique girl and I did that. You have weirdly good skin, Mel, by the way. Well, weirdly good skin. Thank you so much. I mean, my mother always uh, sort of instilled from a very early age good skincare habits and, and techniques. So that's always been a part of, you know, that's always been an interest for me. I love skincare and beauty and, you know, hair and makeup and all of that. But I guess where the food thing started professionally was that I was working in digital advertising as a producer and a copywriter. And I was working for Singleton Ogilvy Interactive. So we had to start Facebook pages and Twitter pages and things like that. And I chose food as a subject because I wanted to pick some content that I didn't have to struggle too much to research in order to feel credible within that community. And food, obviously, I can talk about food all day. I thought, oh, be fine. So I chose that and someone saw my writing and I started writing a food column in 3D World back in the day, which is a street press in Sydney. And from there, I used that as a bit of a CV. So when Time Out Sydney started, I said, here's some work I've been doing. Could I write for you? And I was given my first critical job. And it just sort of snowballed as I met more and more people. I sort of slowly became integrated into the hospitality industry. Industry and I haven't looked back since. I mean, you seem like a classic underachiever from all of that, but I wanted to say <laughs> so much going on, like so many skills. But one interesting thing I heard you talk about very recently on Sharon Johal's very wonderful new podcast was how your it 20s were amazing. a pretty messy and confusing time for you where you did experience pretty crippling depression and anxiety. What was that well, time like, those 20s, when you were trying to find out who you were? I mean, I think everybody in the 20s is trying to find out who they are. You know, you've just you've just finished your teens where you've been protected by education and, and institution in a way and then you finish university and then you're out there in the big wide world. And so I don't think my experience is, you know, extraordinarily dramatic or messy really, but you you sort of, you're exploring who you are as a person, you know, your, your friendship groups outside of your childhood friendship groups and your university friendship groups and you start to kind of, you know, experiment in the world of work. You know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, Who are your friends now? Where do you want to live? You know, how do you live when, you know, when you move out of home and you're flatting with people or whatever it happens to be? You kind of need to figure out, you know, how you are becoming an adult. And so for me, you know, a big part of that was, you know, I finished university. I travelled for a couple of months in Europe. I came back and I started working And, you know, I took on, as you've probably guessed, I like to take on a lot. And I'm a classic, I was a classic overcommitter. I did far too much. And the way that a therapist once described sort of, you know, your emotional state is having a cup of, you know, a cup of tea. You don't know how much is in the cup and you just keep adding drop after drop after drop. And at some point, and you don't know when that will be, that cup can spill over because of how much you've put in it. 
So it's really your emotional state is really about understanding how to you know manage what you have and not to overload yourself with more than you can handle because what happens is inevitable and it happens to everybody it's a very normal natural thing is you need to learn to take care of yourself and that's just that part of the experience of growing up I think for everyone with a mental illness I have anxiety disorder there's a point where it's very clear that what you're going through is no longer just like a personality trait. For me, it was very clear in my early 20s that, yes, I work hard and I love my career, but the way I'm approaching my work and approaching my life doesn't constitute a personality trait. It constitutes a mental illness. Mm. Was there a point or do you have a memory where you realized that you weren't coping mentally or physically with life anymore? Um, I think that I've always managed, my parents used to call me a difficult child because there were, there were always moments where I would shut down because I couldn't, I, I, I didn't want to do something. So if I was forced into doing something, and it's still a trait that I have today, if I'm forced into doing something I don't want to do, I don't deal with it very well. And the older you get, the better equipped you become at articulating why you don't want to do something and why that's not a really good idea. But as a kid, you don't really know how to do that. So it kind of manifests itself as being, you know, a little bit difficult or, you know, being a petulant kid or something like that. So for me, I've always been aware that the way I navigate the world was maybe less common than other kids. And so I just had to, I just knew naturally to be a little bit kinder to myself. And that that's part of that discussion about being an introvert is that you need to find what gives you joy and if being alone and recuperating by reading a book is good for you and it feels nice to do that then you should definitely do more of that. What else helped you climb out of those times where you felt like you might have been in a bit of a hole in your 20s or even 30s? I think that everybody every adult at some stage should try therapy you know I think it's a really good normal discussion to have with anybody you don't have to be overly anxious or or depressed or whatever it is to see a therapist I think that having somebody that you can outsource breaking down the things that are going on in your life and maybe how working out how you can navigate them better in future in the same way that going and seeing a life coach or going and seeing you know any number of different people that can help you with that stuff I think a therapist is a really great idea because especially for me cognitive behavioral therapy was wonderful and all it all it teaches you is if this happens this is how I react so if I can see a situation coming that I, I know I will respond in a bad way, how do I articulate what I need to get through it or get around it? And I think that those are life skills that every adult needs because there is so much in life that we don't necessarily want to deal with and we have to because that's called adulting, right? So I think being accountable for who you are and the way that you negotiate things internally and how that manifests itself externally is it's just part of being a decent human. Coming up after the break, Melissa talks about her past experiences grappling with shame and culture and how she stands proud today. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Talk to us about the absolute highlight of your career <laughs> thus far, which yeah. was being invited to be on one of the biggest stages in Australia, MasterChef, primetime television. Where were you when you got that call up? How did it feel to be asked to be on the show? Okay, so 
I'll give you, I'll backtrack to to when it all happened. So obviously it was a huge announcement that the former judges were leaving. I did not think for a second that I would be sort of in the mix for anything like that because I I had been working on a show on SBS. We were in our second season. It had just gone to Netflix. It was doing really well. It is doing really well. Um, It's called The Chef's Line and it's something that I'm very proud of and I love my SBS family. And so I was on assignment for Delicious Magazine. I had just arrived in Vietnam and I was just about to get on a boat on the Mekong Delta to sail to Phnom Penh with a chef named David Thompson who's a good friend of mine and was really excited about that. So after, um, you know, sort of the eight or nine hour flight, you know, you turn your phone back on in the airport Wi-Fi and I had all of these emails and direct messages and things like that from one of the senior producers, one of the executive producers from, um, from Endemol and I didn't really know what any of that was about and I was about to get on a boat with no reception for a couple of days so I forwarded everything really quickly and I said to my manager could you please just figure out what's going on here and by the time I arrived in Phnom Penh the story was okay yes it is about MasterChef you you are on a short list and I was like oh cool all right and then a couple of emails subsequent to that were you are the list so they would like to meet you and, and you know, when you get back, could you head up to Sydney and, and meet with Endemol? So I went in there and, you know, as a journalist, it's a, you know, you go in open-minded, but also, you know, you're thinking about, you, there's a fair degree of scepticism involved as well. Totally. You need to really think about the angles. And, and so I, you know, had an inkling as to what it was about, obviously, but you never want to assume. And so they said, okay, this is, this is the job. And further to that, we would like to invite you to be, part of this next chapter and you know there's a lot of assumption that happens when someone's offering you a big job people just assume you want it and I hadn't been asked by anybody if I wanted the job and so I said I just need to point out that as huge as this opportunity is and with a a magnificent amount of gratitude I do need to think about this. This is not a, yes, I want to do this job because it's been offered to me. And I think that it doesn't matter what the pinnacle of your career is. If somebody offers you a huge opportunity, you owe it to yourself to think critically about every component of what would make it great, but also what's the reality of it as well. And obviously, we've seen our former judges navigate going from starting off on this this little tiny show that just blew up to be the biggest food show in the world. And so, you know, when you're aware of how it can change your life, and again, uh, harking back to talking about being an introvert, you know, that's a difficult thing to to kind of grapple with. So I went away and I thought about it before I gave them an answer because I think that that's due diligence for yourself and also for the potential group of people that you're going to be working with because if you if if I'm not all in, then... I don't want to do a job. I want to give all of myself and the best of myself to doing my, to doing my job and to living my life. So I want to be committed. And so, yeah, it was a very serious decision and it's been the most fun, amazing, exciting ride to be on. And I'm really glad that I get to do it with Jock and Andy who are, you know, smart, articulate, technically capable, very empathetic, very kind human beings. And the three of us together are a team and we all work with each other. We need each other in order to do this thing. It's not just about the individual. This is a this is an ensemble situation. 
How nervous were you about that launch? Like what were those pre-launch jitters like? Um, just prior to the initial announcement, so, you know, the networks have what they call up fronts and so they invite the media in and they say, okay, this is the, the television programming for, you know, the, the year ahead. And so we had all been holding on to, you know, this news for I guess a month or so and obviously it's very difficult to not talk about something that huge and then it was really cathartic when the announcement happened and I was so excited by that and obviously it's the the, the, the book marker for this next whole chapter of what I'm living right now and of course you know, as I'm sure you're aware, it took only a couple of hours for a publication to decide to throw the first woman in my position under the bus, you know, with finding out those, you know, sort of digging up tweets and taking them out of context and and silly things like that. But, you know, I took it with and still do with a great deal of good humour and you know, you have to have a reality check with that stuff. What you know, what are they trying to do? They're trying to sell clicks and and, you know, pages in a magazine that very few people read these days so it is what so it is. true <laughs> are you proud to be the first woman judge on MasterChef I know that our community was so excited from the day you were announced as one of the three in the new lineup and we have been so thrilled to watch you in every episode since I think you need to be in our Facebook group right now because there is so much love for you are oh, you proud to be you. the first woman involved in of the judging course. panel of course, you know, it. The it's not to, it's funny because a lot of people sort of try to compare and contrast what is now with what was then. And for me, it's two entirely different things. For what was past, you know, those three judges created lightning in a, in a bottle. It was a magical platform that allowed me to have this opportunity that I have now. And so for that, I will always be really grateful. So in this next evolution we get a woman, which is really cool. We get a perspective of a different cultural background, which is also something else I can contribute that is deeply personal. Obviously, it's who I am down to the granular level. So it is so exciting and it's such a, a fun thing to explore with this tremendous community of women and to really celebrate the power that women bring to any situation, to any boardroom meeting, to any acting ensemble, to any television show, women bring something unique and and really special. And to be able to contribute my femininity and my human experience to this particular situation and to have that mixed in with, you know, the shared experiences of our incredible competitors. You know, there are so many amazing strong women within our contestants as well. That's really cool. It's been, yeah, it's been really fun. Talk to us about the importance of your background and of your culture. I want to read you actually a snippet from a newsletter that we published under Shameless. We release a newsletter every Friday and our producer of this podcast is called Annabelle Lee. She's a Chinese-Australian and she is a huge fan of yours. She'll and I want to read you this shit snippet. now. <laughs> she will be losing Hi, her Annabelle. absolute shit. <laughs> she wrote, seeing Melissa Leong so fearlessly being herself, bearing her cultural background like a badge of honour has made me feel unquestionably shameless of mine. I want to ask you, is it deliberate for you to be so public and open about the food that has shaped you as a person and the food that you love dearly? Or is it just so imbued with who you are that it comes out naturally on the show? It's interesting what she said about, you know, feeling a bit shameful. And because I had read that quote, I think you posted it recently, growing up 
in my personal experience, and I will never speak for others, but in my personal experience, growing up in quite a, you know, a, a community where I was sort of, I was very much the minority, I felt the impetus to integrate. And I, I did also feel a little embarrassed of my culture in, in many ways. And, and that was something that I've had to grapple with over time. And I think now that I've reached a point in my life where I'm really proud uh, to, to stand fiercely and be myself in all of my flaws and all of my background experience and my cultural identity as well. I'm so proud of my family and what they have sacrificed for me to have the opportunities that have allowed me to be here. I'm so, so, so proud of that. But it's it's almost a, a, a response to acting a little shameful, as Annabelle mentioned earlier in my life, to forget about my culture. And I know that a lot of kids from migrant families feel a similar way where we're sort of, um, whether or not we're conditioned to or whether or not it's just a sheer desire to want to be accepted, which is something all kids want, we kind of set aside our roots a little bit in order to take on a new identity and be part of the broader community of where we're, wherever we live. So, you know, for me now, I can't not be who I am, which is to be an outspoken woman and a supporter of other women. It's to be proudly, you know, the child of Chinese migrants from Singapore. It is to be someone who has never felt like they fit in until, you know, until I realised that what am I fitting into? I've, I've never really felt secure in myself until I owned that you know and that was you know maybe maybe a sort of not even a decade ago that I really started to come into my own I think that's a a common experience through women who are in their 30s as you start to kind of grapple and accept you know the the good and the bad parts of who you are but yeah look I'm, I'm really proud to be where I am now and to be able to you know pull other women up with me and support other women as well and and especially people that have come from other cultural backgrounds that have a similar experience to me to encourage people to own the richness of their heritage because it's really powerful stuff. Talk to us about pressure and that really big stage you're on and feedback that comes from that because Mm. it is overwhelming and as you say as a woman with quite a big personality and who wants to say what's on their mind the world is not always very kind about that as so many of us know. How do you (laughs) feel about stepping onto the stage knowing full well that you know the noise around you could be very loud? Yeah look I it's funny, the, the theme of pressure keeps coming up. I don't actually feel a lot of pressure with this job. I feel very comfortable in this job. I feel very happy to be here. So I do, I, I get up and I go to work every day and I'm so excited to be there and I, I just do my job. I guess the, the external considerations of a role with a profile like this is that's new and that's something that you know we've discussed you know on on social media is the incredible scrutiny that women are put under when they dare to stick their head out above what's considered acceptable and with that comes a great army of wonderful humans that are there to support you and you also have detractors you have rather disappointingly you know women's tabloid magazines that just want to look for some kind of you know salacious angle that they can sell their you know their publications with and peddling in lies and dragging women down is so utterly disappointing to me because I don't 
believe in it. It's just such a silly notion. Why would you, why would we do that to ourselves? So that that bit's interesting, you know, the odd troll comment that manages to get through to the goal, you know, yeah, it does sting, but I'm better at being able to brush it off because I know that it has a lot more to do with what's going on with that person and their lives and their lens than it really does have to do with who I am. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not perfect. We all have all of this, all of the elements that that make us ourselves, and the imperfection is powerful. So it's just about how we navigate others and what they're going through as well. And hopefully, we are sensitive and respectful of the fact that not everybody's going through an easy time. I think I've heard a great quote lately as well that the greatest shame for any woman in the public eye who is getting that kind of feedback would be to stop. Like yeah. the greatest shame would be to change anything about what she's doing. She's making yeah. people uncomfortable with that's because she's being strong in who she is and I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I want to know what are the best days on the MasterChef set like? What makes you feel fulfilled and happy and brilliant at work? A couple of things. I mean, the, the best days, look, honestly, there, there are very few bad days really in, in the MasterChef kitchen. It's a special place to work because the crew are the best crew in the business. They all, they're all the best at what they do. And the contestants we have this year are also best and beloved and they all have huge personalities and massive hearts. And so to be able to walk into a room with, you know, Jock and Andy who are so funny and so silly and smart and sensitive as, as humans to have them with me and to be with these incredible contestants and this amazing crew I mean you've got to pinch yourself every single day you go to work because it's such a nurturing fun environment to be in I think what makes me really proud of what I can contribute to that is giving my energy you know for me there are two parts two crucial parts of my job one of them is obviously the critical part of it I have trained and grafted to know what I know about food and to be able to articulate it in a way that conveys the audience into the kitchen so that they can feel like they're experiencing the food there's that side of things the other side of things is the human connection part of the job it is being able to see someone who is massively stressed out stressed out because we have set them the most crazy task possible and just being able to kind of maybe help to talk them into a space where they can find their calm, find their focus and therefore be the best at what they can be on the day. And so that human connection thing is really important. Food is emotional. I always say food is deeply, deeply emotional. It's what connects all of us, whether or not our experiences of food growing up were good or bad or, or rich or an abundant or, you know, sort of quite sparing. We all have some frame of reference for food. And so we can always use that to connect with each other and see each other in that space. We often like asking people about legacy, which sounds so much more morbid than it actually is. I promise you that. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, if you considered how people considered you, what do you want to be known for? Like, what is it that you want people to say about you? That's a really weird question. It feels like a Facebook setting. <laughs> What's your <laughs> legacy? Kind of is, isn't who, are you who are you passing on your account to when you pass away? For me, what I feel like I'm working towards is inciting women to 
you know, to be fierce and unapologetic in who they are and also for each of us, regardless of where we come from in the world, to be proud of our stories and to be proud of everything that has come before us that allows us to be who we are. You know, I feel like a big part of my my sort of experience over the last sort of decade or so has been a journey towards understanding and embracing vulnerability. I moved to Tasmania a number of years ago. On It was supposed to be a sabbatical for three months and it ended up being just over two years. And a big part of that journey was that I understood that vulnerability is the linchpin of humanity. But I was not very good at being vulnerable because, you know, I grew up in a culture where it's very much never let them see you sweat always put your best foot forward and growing up in Sydney, Sydney is very much a, you know, a place that awards being hard and shiny and so you develop a little bit of a veneer that allows you to survive that and so going to Tasmania, a friend of mine that I met there, he sort of said to me, I feel like it's part of my job to have met you to kind of sand back that surface a little bit and through that process of investigating vulnerability we realize that it is so powerful you know when people say I'm so sorry I'm crying I just always say do never apologize for crying never apologize for feeling feelings because that is that's true power there your ability to express how you're feeling and not be ashamed of that that's what we should all be in some way working towards feeling comfortable with that. That is a brilliant answer, first of all. Sorry, I'm just like besotted with every word that just came out of your mouth. Melissa, we ask every guest at the end of our episodes this question and we find it so important because we think it's good for the listeners to consider as well. How do you define success in your own life? What makes you feel successful? I feel like success, you know, there's a couple of things here. The cynical uh, surface part of it is I'm proud to be able to provide for my family. I'm proud to be able to com- to contribute to the life I have with my husband and our, you know, our friends and our family and to be able to be generous to the people around us. You know, I, I think that, that it would be silly of me to say, oh, success has nothing to do with money. Of course, success has something to do with your ability to navigate your way through the world and to pay for yourself you know that's important but it's not the most important thing and I'll be very clear about that for me what success means is my ability to come home at the end of the day and feel like I did a good job and to feel seen and appreciated in the job that I do and that has not always happened and I feel like that gives me extra impetus to be grateful for those moments in life where you do have a job where you are valued and you are you do feel seen and you do feel like you can contribute something that is a little bit bigger than yourself you know for me it's never lost on me that what I do is entertainment it's communicating stories and that's really powerful but it's not rocket science it's not curing cancer but it does give people a moment of of joy and in this current COVID environment it gives people a little emotional break from the pressures of uncertainty so for me success is feeling like I can contribute something and that I can do a good job in that contribution. Melissa Leong, thank you so much for joining us on Shameless in Isolation. You. you are such a delight and doing such incredible things, not just on the show, but through conversations like this. You are such a, I hate to say, breath of fresh air is such a wank, but it keeps <laughs> you like a very big breath of fresh air today. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I, I have to say, you know, when I found out about you guys and, and the 
tremendous community of very strong, fearless humans that you are amassing. For me, like I said, on that day when you made that post and I like I, I out and out cried, I'm not afraid to say that, I cried because that was a really tough day, feeling very put upon and feeling like lies are being perpetuated about your truth. That can feel like it robs you of identity and so you helped me feel seen in that moment and you shared that with your community and that's a really powerful thing so I I am very grateful for what you guys are doing as well so thank you we adore you and we're all in your <laughs> corner I can tell you that much thank you so much <laughs> thanks I'm gonna so wipe my tears now but <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this In Isolation episode of Shameless with Melissa Leong. If you'd love more from Melissa, you can find her on Instagram at Foodorati. As for us, well, Mish and I are independent podcasters who do this without the support of a network. So the best way to support us is to show how you listen via your Instagram stories. Either take a screenshot of your podcast app and tell us your thoughts on the episode or show us how you listen, whether that be walking a dog, doing some baking or procrastinating while working. That is all from us for now. We will be back in your ears on Monday with the wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.